0: Welcome, Austin, and Jim. As I've been reading through our articles lately, it struck me that there sure are, it sure seems like there are a lot of uh, terrorist groups out there. I know we've got Boko Haram, uh, Al-Shabaab, uh, we've got Hezbollah, we've got uh, all the different variations of ISIL, ICAIDA, uh, ICAIDA. Um Jim, has terrorism been on the rise, or is this something that's been with us
1: for the last 50 years? Well, uh, two things. First, terrorism has always been around. It's always been in one form or another. The uh, American organized crime, uh, especially the Italian version, the Black Hand, the Casa Nostra, uh, they, like many terrorist organizations, began as a patriotic, you know, liberation, uh, Italian liberation organization. And they eventually, you know, decided, hey, I can make a career out of this. And it turned into a, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, a gang, which, which basically depended on terror. Terror is an old uh, fundraising technique for all criminal organizations. And what's ironic, as we're as we're covering all of these terrorist organizations, uh, whenever they're beaten, they go back to the, you know, to the, the mafia ways. For example, uh, ISIL. ISIL no longer controls any territory. Uh, and now they have to, and they lost most of their money. Uh, and so now they have basically have to, you know, pay the bills. And they're kidnapping for money. They're running the, the protection racket, is is, is is probably the most uh, dependable. And they're raiding. Uh, I think we just did an update on Nigeria uh, this week. And uh, they found out that uh, they can make a lot of money off the fishermen on Lake Chad. Which you know borders uh, northern Nigeria. Uh, if the fishermen want to go out and fish unmolested or unshot at, as the case may be, uh, you simply pay them a little bit. Uh, so yes, there are a lot of them. Terrorism, as we think of it, you know, as people setting up big bombs and things like that and issuing declarations of you know submit or die. That's an Islamic thing. In fact we first talked about bringing, uh, doing this subject, I, I, I quickly reviewed our past coverage of terrorism. I mean, this is not a new subject, and I, I put together a piece where I realized, and this, this is basically, I went and checked the, you know, the official documents, the U.S. State Department and various other organizations cover terrorism. Ninety percent of it's Muslims killing Muslims, and and I, we have covered this in the past. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's. It's nothing new. I mean, what's made modern terrorism so terrible, at least for the Muslims, it, it, it victimizes primarily, is uh, money. There's more money. Uh, I mean, if you want to ask what did the Arabs do with their money, well, they spent it on consumption and terrorism. Uh, I mean, you know, that, that sounds kind of, you know, harsh, but it's true. Uh, and we've been very quiet about it because, the, you know, the Saudis have been good allies, as it were. When uh, we asked them to step up and uh, increase production at the end of the Cold War to you know, put the extra squeeze on the Russians, they did it even though it cost them money. And you know so we owe them. So when they had to get you know Saddam out of out of Kuwait, uh, actually at first they were, they, their initial reaction as it came out was to, well so what are we other the Kuwaitis? Uh, and then somebody stepped up and told the king well la 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 la, and, and then next, the next decision was called the Americans. Um, so, you know, it's been a, a you know, a, a mutual relationship, which is subject to change, depending on, you know, considering what's happening in Texas, which is now on its way to becoming, I think it already is the third largest oil exporter in the world, and it's probably closing in on number two, and eventually number one. Uh, you can frack your way out of some problems. Um, the, uh, uh, but for the moment, you know, we have this longstanding relationship, and they have a new king who are crown prince, he's going to be the next king, who's making a real substantial stab at you know, reform. Um, and, uh, but one of his problems, as it has always been, is that it's Saudi money, which basically funded al-Qaeda initially. I mean, it was voluntary contributions. It took us, took us years to convince the Saudis that they had to crack down. Now, this is difficult to ask, because Saudi is a, basically a coalition of tribes. Uh, you know the British used to joke. You know the Arab countries are, are tribes with flags. I mean, well, that was that was unfortunately true. Uh, and and the and Saudi Arabia, the the Arabian ruled by the Saudi family, the clan, as it were, is literally a coalition put together by uh, you know uh, Abdul Aziz uh, in Saudi in the 1920s after World War II. I think one of his ancestors, well. Was in you know the but that movie uh what do you call it um well anyway uh Lawrence uh, it, Lawrence, of Lawrence of Arabia right no, he mentioned no, the no. Arab revolt and he didn't and then he mentioned well, you know, the, well I suppose that's
2: well, good news World War One and Abdullah right. Ibn Saud pushes the Hashemites which is the, now I've moved up to up to Jordan out of. Western Saudi Arabia and take over the Holy Cities is what yeah,
1: that was. The and, big and, and, and the important thing any, any, any diplomat, any Western diplomat had to learn when dealing with the uh, uh, with Arabia is the tribes. I mean, that's what's happening in Yemen right now. But see, the thing is before the oil was discovered and Aramco was founded and, and before OPEC came along in the 70s and the oil prices were way up and they had this huge flood of cash and a lot of Saudis, actually, and a lot of Yemenis. The Bin Laden family came from Yemen. Uh, the, the father, uh, he was an entrepreneur. He came to uh, Saudi Arabia. He started a construction company. Uh, he basically was a hustler, um, and the, most of them actually were. But you know, the Osama uh, was the bad son, as it were, or the good son, depending on what kind of Muslim you are. Um, And uh, he didn't get as much money as, as, you know, the news would have, you believe, but he had access to people who were very wealthy. And these people, by and large, many of them, worked about, you know, Muslims of the Wahhabi, uh, uh, you know, uh, faction, which is very conservative. And and he would often ask them to, uh, how should I put it, uh, contribute to Islamic charities. And now some people understood that to be, yes, a charity, you're going to build mosques. Uh, we're going to send Wahhabi missionaries out to the other Muslim countries to preach, uh, but it it soon became a a, a code word for and we'll, and other things besides building mosques and and Uh Basically, that was terrorism. Uh, you know, it's extreme proselytizing. But you know, the thing is, in Ma, in Islam, that is not an operation. Islam, the word means submission. It's the only major religion. Which basically praises and encourages uh, conversion by conquest. Uh, nobody else does that. None of the major religions, anyway. You don't last long because eventually the rest of the world, you know, lines up against you and your and your former religion. Uh, and there have been historically, without going into the details, there have been religions like that which you know had their moment and then boom, they were gone for good. Um, Islam did not go for good because most people who converted said, All right, come on. I, I don't want to go out and conquer my neighbors. i got enough problems. And so you had major uh, branches, so to speak, uh, practices in Islam like Sufism, which is considered somewhat haram, you know, forbidden uh, by the hardcore, uh, which basically preached more of a uh, mystical, you know, concentrating on the, how should I put it, on the moral, and worship aspects of it, not conquering your neighbor. But, unfortunately, Arabia had a hard corpse. That was where Islam was founded. Uh, That's where the the, the main holy places are. Um, And there was all this money available. And that plus global communications. uh, People, once they left the old country, they were no longer cut off. Uh, They could basically just turn on the radio or later the TV and hear all the old programs from the old country. And if you were a, a Saudi uh, or any kind of Arab, uh, you had access to programs which were preaching, you know, war against the infidels, war against the West. And then it came the internet, which made it even easier. Because, you know, you could always shut down a, a, a TV station that was uh, constantly spewing, you know, uh, kill your neighbors. Uh, but that became, it's much more difficult with the internet. Uh, so, you know, basically we're horse on our own batard the technology. Uh, one thing that didn't change, and that's one reason why you keep having a lot of terrorism that does not work. This is something that, that never seems to sink in with a lot of uh, Muslims. Well, it does, but not the, not the few who you can recruit to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, terrorists, uh, is that, you know, it fails again and again. It's, it's been going through the cycle for a thousand years. Uh, but that's why you had this huge burst of terrorism in the 70s. Basically, coincides with the influx of oil money into the Middle East. I mean, there is a there is a relationship. Before that, there were the uprisings. There was the Mahdi in Sudan in 1890. I think uh, what do you call it? Churchill wrote about. It. I think he was there. Um, and uh, there's been very other various other you know uprisings, uh, mostly minor. Uh, the Turks would not. The Turks basically took the uh, the Mongol approach. If you try to pull one of these things, they go in there and slaughter everybody in sight. Can't do that anymore. Well, some people do. Uh, but the um, but the Turks always had a saying: Do not involve yourself with the affairs of the Arabs. I mean, it was just it was just one problem after another. And, and the Turks were Muslims. Not only were they Muslims, they thought they could solve the problem by having the Sultan. You know, that's where the Hashemites came to be in charge of of Mecca. Uh, <laughs> the Sultan basically said, "The Hashemite uh, family is. I'm going to declare myself the Caliph. Is that okay with you?" Hashemites are not stupid, and they said, "Sure, boss. You know you're a good Muslim," and that lasted for centuries. Until it did um, And so now it's up for grabs again, and it's all the money that's driving it. Terrorism cannot exist without people who are willing to support it financially. And you'll see this in every terrorist movement in the, in the world or in history. Uh, if there's no cash, there's no violence. There's no activity. Uh, so now, if you ask me, as, 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 uh, you know, as Dan just did briefly, going through all the various uh, uh, you know, uh, terrorist groups, it's a small list because it basically comes down to uh, al-Qaeda and its offshoots. And ISIL is basically a radical branch of Al Qaeda. Uh, the, the Taliban uh, is a little different. Uh, they were basically started by the Pakistani military intelligence uh, to obtain some control over Afghanistan. Uh, they are—they are—they are, uh, they are, they are Al Qaeda-like, but they're nationalists, not internationalists. Uh, They—they strictly—you uh, know—it's like the difference between the—you know—the Nazis and and the communists. You know. Uh, the national, you know, social, radical socialists and international radical socialists. Uh, with Islam, it's the same thing. Uh, and in in various countries where you had outbreaks of Islamic fundamentalism, uh, like in uh, in Somalia, uh, where you had this chaos because the the basically the the, the, the endemic clan warfare, which again had I been mean, going on for centuries, uh, and uh, the religious leaders got together. And they started a thing called the Islamic courts. And this was basically simply literally a local thing where Islamic militias would go out and and basically bring peace. This Al-Qaeda came along and said, hey, we got a system. You want to be a franchise? And it was all downhill from there. Uh, You had Al-Shabaab got big and then it got small real quick because everybody combined against it, including unusually ERs. Sufis who will stay out if possible. But if you corner them and shoot at them, they they have guns, they'll shoot back. Uh, Same thing in Yemen, uh, where the uh, Islamic terrorist organizations were always a minority thing. The current civil war going on there was basically Shia tribes, which are basically – these are Shia tribes, which are on both sides of the border. The ones on the Saudi side are loyal because they're paid off. It's money. It's worth their while. If they go against the Saudi state, A, they're broke. B, there are a number and of course, they've seen what the Saudis do with all their, the, the aircraft and smart bombs they've learned how to use. They don't have rules of engagement. You know, uh, Iran tried to jump on that and say, look, the Saudis are slaughtering civilians. And nobody would stand up and say, well, look, what they're doing is not basically paying attention to human shields. I mean, they're not, they're not killing civilians just, let say, killing civilians like the Assad's are in Syria to drive them out of the country. Uh, that is definitely a no-no. Uh, but, you know, when the, uh, when the rebels will basically put, put all their equipment or basically only move their, their forces when they have some women and children in tow, the Saudis will bomb you anyway. Now, in the West, you know, that's a war crime. In Saudi Arabia, hey, that's the way we do it here. So, you know, cultural differences. Be that as it may, the, uh, the Shia were not uh, rebelling uh, for religious reasons. Uh, but for to, to try and uh, you know eliminate the corruption, which has always been a notable cause in Yemen and they had a lot of Sunnis back them initially. but eventually you know the Saudis intervened and uh, now it, and Iran who always he always gave some support to the, the Shia rebels mostly in the form of you know a little money I mean nothing big. Uh, it became major once the uh, the Shia rebels uh, you know captured the capital in 2014. And uh, now the Iranians are regretting it. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a simple answer. There aren't, aren't many non-Muslim uh, terrorism groups. Uh, there have been some, and there are still some, there, there, a lot of them, but they're dormant. There was the one in Sri Lanka, which was basically uh, uh, Tamils uh, fighting against the, uh, the, the majority. Uh, you know, it's usually a, a minority versus a majority deal. Uh, and they were defeated. There were the Armenians. There were Armenian terrorists running around. They were blowing up airplanes and what have you. Uh, they quieted down. Uh, there are various, uh, you know, ethnic. Uh, there've always been ethnic, uh, you know, uh, terrorists uh, in Southeast Asia because you had a lot of minorities there. But usually, you know, they're just looking for a better deal. You offer them a deal, usually financial, or you know, give them job rights, whatever the case may be. They prefer to do something other than killing. <laughs> With Islamic radicals, with Islamic, Islamic terrorists, you know, the, the, <laughs> there is no end game except world conquest. And while that may make a, you know, that's a funny punchline in some cartoons, uh, you know, in real life, it means endless, you know, mayhem. And that's what we're saying. Now, here's a problem. In the past, before all the money came along, the terrorists would come up. I mean, if you go back and there are histories i would show this, this one, this one, this one. There's, there's dozens of them, major ones, and, and some minor ones. Um, and usually it's a local thing. I think the last few in the early 19th century, there was a uh, – God, I think there was, there was one in Somalia, the Mad Mullah. Uh, this is the British uh, you know, giving the names. Um, but anyway, these things were local. If they were in Turkish-controlled territories, they were stomped out very quickly. Um, but now they can sustain themselves. And that's what makes this outbreak of Islamic terrorism different. We feed it. I mean, literally. I mean, for example, our foreign aid operations, which are a, 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 became a big bone of contention when somebody did the math and realized when you uh, – I mean, the, the, uh, back 50 years ago, governments, especially American and the Western in general, started outsourcing running foreign aid you know, the the, uh, the World Food Program and, and various other organizations, Doctors uh, Without Frontiers, et cetera, et cetera. They say, hey, look, donate money. We're a certified reliable charity, et cetera, et cetera. And they were. Just give us lots of money, and you won't have to send your diplomats, your civil servants, people who don't want to be there. We do want to be there. That's the only people we accept. But the problem was, they go into a place, Somalia was a poster child for how this goes wrong, and, and the, the bad guys, in this case, Muslim you know, Islamic uh, extremists, would say, oh, we don't really want you here, but God, you know, we're starving to death. Uh, you can move your food in if you give us a cut or if you pay you know, additional fees and what have you. And basically the, you know, the, uh, the Western aid agencies, if it were a government, they'd say, screw you, Jack, you know, uh, yeah, this, this is political poison back home for us. But for the charities, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, they could more easily hide. It. And they felt they calling; they had a need, you know we're, we're, you know, we're not Muslims, we're Christians for the most part. And, you know, we basically turn the other cheek and just, you know, keep trying to get the food to the, the aid to the people who need it the most. Uh, unfortunately, uh, eventually it was realized that why is this, this particular insurrection going on for 10, 12 years? It's because how are they sustaining themselves? I mean, basically, it's the same old story. And I remember years ago, I had to go down to, to, you know, to lectures, there, new analysts on you know, how to do simulation and you know, how to you know, tease out what's really happening. And I basically told them because I kept running into this, I said, follow the damn money. None of these groups basically, you know, live on, on on promises and hopes and what have you. They gotta eat, they gotta buy ammunition, they can't always steal what they need. Uh, they basically need cash. And, you know, I saw eyes light up and then later on ran into a guy saying, you know, you're right, you know, we've been more successful if we started following the money. And all of a sudden you saw on the war on terror, you know, after 01, more and more it came down to the uh, you know, the uh, uh, the financial people. Uh, you know, tracing money. Uh, suddenly it became more difficult to send uh, money over to uh, uh, countries that had uh, Islamic uh, terrorist groups operating because a lot of it. And, and of course you saw people in the United States and other Western countries arrested. These were immigrants uh, for basically organizing and, and moving money uh, to the uh, terrorist groups back in the old country. Uh, who were basically the reason why they immigrated in the first place. I mean, go figure that out. I mean, that's what you're up against. And once it becomes self-sustaining, again, because of the West, because of the people who are trying to help them, uh, it becomes very difficult to, uh, to, to, do or to stop. So basically what we've done to this cycle, the thousand-year-old cycle of Islamic terrorism and extremism, is we found a way to keep it going indefinitely.
0: Austin, that was uh, quite a tour there that Jim just gave us. Uh, what do you have to add?
2: Well, I, I'm going to point out one thing though, that, uh, that was the predicate to the arrival of petrodollars to spark Middle Eastern terror organizations. And that is the terrorist groups that the Soviet Union backed, I won't say formed, even though some of them they did form. Arab secularists. If you remember Abu Nidal, the uh, you know as as an example of it, he was a Marxist. Uh, The uh, Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, which we still occasionally cover, but we we had that separate uh, Kurdish war. Wars around the world, we covered that separately for about 12 or 13 years, uh, and very heavy uh, action, of starting in 82, and it was a Cold War-backed secular Marxist terrorist organization. Those existed, and they were existing in the 60s. Think about the Red Army faction. Remember that that, yeah, uh, well, that, that was, group in, in was, Germany is an
1: example. It's the old it Labumba University crew. Uh, yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, that's right. And was, where there Jim's uh, referring uh, to the uh, university in 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 Russia named after Patrice Lumumba, who was a uh, Marxist activist in the Congo, and uh, he was that was that's what they re- re- the Russians named. Uh, this uh, school for radicals, but it was uh, a training ground for uh, radicals that could operate uh, uh, as terrorists. So you had these organizations. You also had some Islamist extremists uh, in the in the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and uh, I'm thinking here of of, of uh, Saeed Qutb, who was uh, really the theorist, the poet, the philosopher. Uh, of of, of Al Qaeda, uh, he was put to death by Nasser in 1966. So this this that predates again the oil explosion. But he thought about that. He thought about that. These are ways that for we the weak to fight back. And you know, the roots of that, uh, the roots of we the weak fighting back in a, in a guerrilla war or a terror war, it had been with us forever. You can even if you if you look at the uh jewish zealot uh, uh revolts the romans considered some of the uh, uh uh jews in the second revolt to be terrorists just then uh just to put the uh give a, a political uh perspective to it and that we're predating islam there no they're not the only ones who would uh, who would have Fit into a at least a, a something quasi uh quasi terrorist uh organization even though they were revolutionary uh, ethnic uh political uh political rebels well so were these cadres that the uh communists were putting together to uh operate in the developing world third world also in uh uh in Europe now Jim touched on I just I just point that, that there was a you had a model that quickly adapted to this uh Islamist globalist uh, drive that feeds a lot of the major terrorism on the planet now and then that's the the Iranians action is a kind of a combination of that their uh, ayatollahs are uh, globalists. Of course, that's a, it's a Shia-led uh, global Islamic uh, revolution. They've got that propaganda pitch, and that uh, if you want to call it, that's their strategic goal. But it also unites, in in Iran's case, with an Iranian state goal of of reestablishing the, uh, well, we call it the Persian empire to them. the you know, Iran area. It's Aryan, their Aryan empire of the first millennia BC. it sounds outrageous, but it's not, it's there. That's part of what's going on uh, with Iran. And they use terrorist groups and terrorist tactics to, uh, promote that agenda. If, if anything, to, to also keep their enemies, uh, and uh, balance unbalance their enemies. But let me pick up on a couple of other, uh, other things that uh, uh, Jim, Jim mentioned. I'll pick up on a Balkan group, the Internal Macedonian Revolutionary Organization, IMRO. Well, now it happens to be a political party, res- resurrected and revived in, uh, in, 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 Mas- in Macedonia. <clears throat> but in the 19th century, it was first a guerrilla group that used terror tactics that were influenced by the anarchist terrorists uh, of in Russia, Europe, and uh, well, the United States uh, a, a as well. Over time, though, lacking success, they became a criminal organization, another Balkan smuggling ring, and uh, organized crime, like Jim brought up the the uh, La Cosa Nostra uh, and, and and Sicily. It was a uh, a local protection Italian Sicilian revolutionary group. Well, of course, look look what it became: criminal organization. The Colombian communist guerrilla groups that Jim still occasionally writes about. Even though one of them, what what's the group that's becoming the political party now, Jim? I, I, uh, I thought. Uh, yeah right exactly. Well, uh, listen. They were a drug gang for about 40 years, maybe longer than that. They were hiring their, their uh, former guerrillas out as, um, as, as gunmen to uh, cocaine cartels and uh, used some of the same – smuggling requires some of the same skills that being a guerrilla requires. Uh, Were they a terrorist group? Absolutely. They waged a terrorist war against really the people of Colombia, which is one of the reasons they ultimately lost. And uh, you have – and the Colombian government with some aid from the United States uh, and the U.S. primarily um, uh, succeeded uh, in in stopping a – Revolutionary terrorism that was being followed the money, ultimately fed by uh, uh, drugs, the United States drug appetite. Oh, our our mess feeds that. There, there are uh, other ethnic groups. I'll, I'll bring them up. You used to see a lot of Moluccan terrorists. Remember those guys, Jim? They would hijack yeah. trains in Holland, and people would go, where are the Moluccas? Well, they were Dutch-reformed uh, Moluccans, you know, the Malays, uh, mele, ethnic Malays, the Moluccan Islands. Um, sometimes it would be called the uh, Spice or even Nutmeg Islands, you'll know, find out. But the Moluccas, and they had been uh, one of the premier forces in the old um, Dutch um, East Indian, East Indies ar- uh, Army, even in the old way, way back, the Dutch uh, East Indian. Um, uh, company which we're, was running what is now uh, uh, Indonesia, they didn't want to be controlled by Muslims from Java, and the Malaccas are still predominantly uh, Christians. And they conducted because the Indonesian army, which is overwhelmingly Javanese and 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 mu- uh, Muslim, would just go smash them on their home islands. Well, they would conduct occasional. Um, terrorist acts to get attention in Holland. Uh, I believe they had uh, set off a bomb in in London. In fact, I know they did in these in these places. And and the reaction would be, who are these people? Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. They were trying to say we've been wronged and we should have been our own country after the Dutch withdrew. Well, that that may have been the case, but they turned to terror. Well, they they they've stopped. Jim mentioned the Armenians. Yeah, um, the Azeris still think of the Armenians as being terrorists, but that's another uh, uh, that, that that's, that's slight changes. Uh,
1: um, a real a real estate dispute. That's realist.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. And, and look, Baluchis the Balukis are 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 Sunni Muslims, but the Iranians call them terrorists because the Balukis in. in there's a slice of eastern iran that is ethnic baluchi and the one of pakistan's uh, provinces is baluchistan or baluchistan you'll hear it both ways it's it's western uh, West, western pakistan and the deal that the baluchis have with the, the the pakistanis and they look at them as as being you know folks from Uh, you know, send the Punjab, okay, that's that's, that's the way they look at it. They look at them as Indians, is what they look at them as, Indian Muslims, is the the deal that that Islamabad has with the Baluchis is, you guys, you can mind your own business, and part of that, and and we'll leave you alone, and they pretty much do, because uh, Baluchis were one of the uh, military tribes, they they had a rep just like in you know, uh Zulus and Dinkas just to pick up to or uh, some of the um, Nepalese uh, Gurkhas. Well, yeah, Gurkhas is a, maybe the premier uh, premier example, but there there uh, there are uh, other ones uh, here in the U.S. Comanches had, had one of the that's still one of the most the toughest toughest uh, tribal fighter reps, but the uh, and that's not quite the same situation with the uh, Maluchi's, but they have used, uh, launched limited number of attacks uh, because they're angry at their treatment by mistreatment by the Aryans, and uh, they have used uh, terror tactics. Don't hear much about it because there aren't very many journalists in there, and the Iranians don't want people knowing that that's going on. But every once in every once in a while, you'll uh, read. Read something about it. I would uh, – I've already hit the thing about moving from revolution to crime. Jim. Uh, oh, the IRA. One of my – I should say – I've got to be careful about this because it, it sounds like I admire the Irish Republican Army. I really don't. I don't admire what it became after, uh, uh, after the murder of Michael Collins. Let's put it that way. So that puts it back to – when is that, 22 or something like that? You know, I think that's when he was murdered. He was there by uh, the uh, old Irish Republican Army's uh, military chief of staff, an outstanding uh, guerrilla outstanding uh, fighter. But over time, uh, yeah, you had uh, – a part of the IRA becomes an Irish uh, political movement, no doubt, of, uh, doubt about that. But part of it becomes a gang, a drug gang. A smuggling organization, and a militant, quote-unquote, uh, anti-British, even, even in a, you know, fighting over the, over the Belfast area, the northern uh, counties that are of Ulster. Of Ulster. But uh, the IRA was responsible for developing some of the techniques, tech, bombs, timing, raids, Communications. I'm talking about a, a tactical level that you see replicated in some of these Muslim groups now. The Russians spent time looking at what the IRA did. Now, so if this I I point I'm pointing this out because somebody comes in and says, Well, uh, listen listen to Jim Dunnigan and Austin Bay picking on Arabs. No, <laughs> I'm not. You you can see where the, the roots of, of a lot of what we'll call modern terror and the uh, anarchist movements of the 19th century, and you can see some of the development though coming uh, early 20th century, and and the Irish Republican Army plays uh, a, a a role in in, the, in developing some of the techniques and uh, that. We we see we we see today even even including you know remote detonation of uh, of bombs even though it would be with uh, uh, with wires not 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 radio in 1916 but they certainly got to that in the 1970s and uh, last thing I'll say uh, Jim talking about following the money aid uh, I think some listeners know this if they looked at uh, some number of things I've written, or you know, investigate my website on this. I've been active in um, developmental aid uh, organizations, pri- primarily through my uh, through my church, but uh, active supporting or you know, involvement in 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 uh, some of the uh, programs since the 1980s. Uh, seriously, since uh, 1999. It is, so, Jim described a number of these groups, even the secular ones, but definitely the sectarian ones, uh, quite, uh, quite accurately. You have people in them that want to do something for people who are suffering. Now, a lot of them don't have any kind of security background. Now... If they're going to stay in it and they're going to operate in some place like South Sudan or Somalia or Yemen, they get smart very quickly. Uh, usually they decide not to expose their own personnel uh, to that. They also learn, like Doctors Without Borders is very, very astute regarding the uh, security for its clinics. And, and that, that outfit operates in some very, very difficult uh, d- difficult places. They may say some things, and I will challenge – if they want to challenge me on this, fine. I know the truth. They may say some nasty things about the you know, British government, the American government, and the like, but they know who their friends are. You know, Their, their friends are British and American paratroopers and French marines like that that will <laughs> actually come uh, <clears throat> dig them out. Um, but they do get preyed upon, P E R A E Y, by the orga- uh, revolutionary organizations, ethnic rights organizations, some of them are armed, armed movements and terrorist groups, just as the way Jim described it. I think. It is well. The Yemen situation is is uh, a, a exemplary mess of the of the way that uh, food shipped in to the World Food Program uh, can be skimmed by the Houthis. Less is going on now since the Saudi coalition has them more or less uh, has more or less surrounded the, the main port, Hodeida, and the Emiratis are basically doing the same thing with uh, Aden down uh, uh, down in the south, but once the convoys leave and go into some of these areas, and one of the areas where there are a lot of starving people, how many I don't know, but it would be at least several hundred thousand in this in this area in this area, is in the northern hills, which is the Houthi's home territory. So right there. Moving this food. Uh, last time I looked, where the, the food sources were coming from, a lot of it. Uh, right. Well, it, well, this is now six months old. On this it was uh, Canadian and American uh, 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 grains. Uh, not not solely, but that was uh, what, what primary. You know, was, was at least in the in tran in transit. Then uh, it's all right. It goes out, and then the hooties who are. Trained, propped up by Iran's Al Quds Special Forces, special terrorist operations. Rake it off, and right there, right, right there, you've got it's. It's not money, but it's food, and it's as good as it's. In, if you can barter it, it's as good as. Uh, uh, it, it's as good as money. How do you stop that? Uh, and the question is, as, as, as Jim said. Uh, the organizations, the, both the sectarian and, and sa- secular one, are run by people that don't want to stop it because they feel morally committed to feed the poor and the the, the starving. Uh, anyway, that's uh, I, I, I I think I, that it's worthwhile looking at that because it, it's a here it is it's a, a what I will say is a valuable and good intention prolongs a a bloodletting that's a real problem isn't it Dan
0: yes it is yeah Jim one last thing the Philippines has a unique situation where they've got two flavors of terrorists in their. yes
1: many countries do India is an example well one thing I I should add to you know put this into perspective Uh, what Austin was describing with Lumumba University and what have you was basically an ancient tactic in other words if you want to weaken your enemy, support internal enemies over there. And that's been going on for, you know, centuries. And again, remember, the, uh, the ancient Romans, uh, they're, they're the people they were never able to beat uh, was the Iranians or the Persians, what have you. And they were constantly supporting, you know, uh, rebels. Now, the, the Jews, of course, were a force unto themselves. And and you saw how that was dealt with. They basically, you know, ran most of the Jews out of, uh, enslaved them, or just basically uh, sent them to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the wherever. Um, and that's how the Romans typically, you know, I deal with these things. That's where the old saying comes from. Uh, they created a desert and called it peace. But uh, the the Russians were were the communists, the Bolsheviks in particular, uh, since they were international socialists, as it were. Um, they basically refined it. I mean, they were—they were—they refined. You know, they basically perfected—you know—the the most effective—you uh, know—means of torture. <laughs> something they don't like to talk about. Uh, and also how to—you know—basically uh, find and fund and uh, and energize, as it were, uh, terrorist organizations in their in the in the enemy's countries. So this is something that will never change. That's what the American Special Forces. Was basically built for not so much to create terrorism in foreign countries, but in wartime to send in troops who knew the local, uh, you know, the uh, the local uh, culture, the languages, and what have you had already developed contact, and to basically help you know, raise uh, resistance, as it were, better resistance against the occupying, uh, presumably, uh, you know, communists. Uh, but uh, it didn't make any difference. The so that has always been there, as Austin was pointing out. You have these things, these, these revolutions uh, going on. For example, in Indonesia, you had Timor, uh, East Timor. Oh, that's, a, that's it a good became, example. Became became independent, but now you've got a new one. Well, it's an old one in Papua. The, these are places the uh, the Indonesians grab, which they shouldn't have. And, you know, the, the the Dutch tried to deal with these these uh, these areas you know, before they left, but the Indonesians said, No, no, we want it all. And uh, they got more than they bargained for because in Papua, you have the Melanesians uh, look more like Africans, but they're not. I mean, they're basically the, the original peoples who came out of Africa, uh, you know, uh, over 100,000 years ago and moved into southern. That's why the Tamils in southern India, uh, you know, they, they they look like, you know, Westerners with a, with a permanent tan. Uh, and the Melanesians are very similar. Um, and they look different from the Malays, which are related to the, you know, the East Asians, you know, who only later moved down into the, into the, uh, you know, to, into the tropical areas. Be that as it may, they're ethnically different. They became Christian. Uh, many of them are not even Christian. They're the ancient religions, what have you. There are hundreds of different tribes. And they are rebelling. Now, they have, again, it's the money. They have no support. The, in East Timor, they were Christian. They were they. they had Western contacts. Uh, they were able to get external support. They had people who were educated. Who were they had? They had a a a a, a migrant community uh, who could could basically send money. That's what kept the war going in uh, in Sri Lanka with the Tamils. You had expatriate Tamils, especially in the West, who were making more money and basically you know, funded you know the the uh, the rebellion that failed. Uh, so. That's something else you've always got. But these, all these rebellions, what makes them different is they have a finite, you know, reasonable goal. You know, independence for Timor. Timur eventually became independent. Papua New Guinea, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, 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 East Papua is an independent country. Uh, It used to be uh, part of, you know, the the, uh, colonial Australia. And uh, the English and the Australians decided... No, no, no. <laughs> Let them be. Let them be independent. Because they knew. You know, people that operated up there, just, you, don't want, you do not want to try to rule this place because even the locals can't rule it. And that's another story. But the, th- the point is, you've got these things going on, you know, forever. Uh, and uh, But again, what makes what makes Islam different is that they will go on perpetually. I mean, generation after generation of young, uneducated you know, uh, and living in in countries. I mean, the Arabs never figured, without democracy, without modern technology, because the the Arab, uh, you know, terrorism, fanaticism, radicalism is based on the fact that they reject everything modern, well, except weapons, you know, and cell phones and but but then if all that stuff. When you get the Islamic State, they have long lists of things you're not supposed to touch that are haram. Now, weapons and what have you. Yeah, that's good because it helps defend Islam. But most of it, they want nothing to do it. And that includes education. For example, Boko Haram, they were basically Taliban wannabes um, who have since played into two factions, but I'm not going to go into that. You can read the strategy page. Uh, Boko Haram literally means, you know, no Western education. And that's what they've certainly done in one area, which contains about, you know, four or five percent of the Nigerian population. They've eliminated most of the schools, and that's causing great hardship. And that's one reason why they lost many. Most of these organizations, even the IRA, the IRA were extremely unpopular after you know the 20s uh, with most Irish. And I know that for a fact because I, I had Irish immigrants in you know in the 60s, I had some of them working for me, and I'd ask them, oh, they they, they, and they say, oh, they say you know things, the women about what they thought about the IRA. Uh, and that's the same thing with Islamic terrorism. But the thing is, they have a means of regenerating, and now they have a means of getting funding to really do damage, and enough damage in the West for the West to consider it a terrorism problem. And it is a terrorism problem because they they kill enough of Westerners, you know, that they are basically the major source of terrorist activity in the West, even though it's very relatively small, um, and. Uh, and and there's no easy way to eliminate them. Now, in Afghanistan, you might get the Colombian solution. One reason the Colombians basically suppressed this leftist organization, which is what the Philippines also had, and it is also, you know, the NPA, whatever, Uh, they eventually die when everybody realizes that communism doesn't work. Not everybody took the lessons of 1989 to heart, but they they realized that, Whatever is going on, uh, like with a, a narco uh, you know, kingdom, as it were, a narco state, which you had in Colombia, which you had for a while in Peru, which actually you had for a while in Burma, uh, it, it's very popular. It makes a lot of money, but it basically creates a lot of local addicts, which means the majority of the local population hates you, and that's what happened in Afghanistan. I mean, you don't hear that out of the mass media because they don't get it. You know, do you realize they don't, you know, it's never a story. All I mean, they'll say, yeah, we we'll report, yeah, there's a, all, there's a lot of addicts, you know, there's heroin addicts in, 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 in Afghanistan. It ain't that awful. But they don't realize what that means in the big picture. Most Afghans hate the Taliban because they, like FARC in, in Colombia, uh, signed on. They needed money. And the easiest way to make money was to be, you know, uh, hire guns, you know, for the drug gangs. And that's the only thing that keeps the Taliban going at all, and and ultimately that comes to an end. The trouble is, where's the where's the where's the the uh, the what do you call it, the heroin uh, capital of the world going to go next? It used to be in Burma, it was run out of Burma, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s. That's the whole of the story. It ended up in Pakistan, didn't last long in Pakistan. The Pakistanis realized real quick, you know, what a plague this was. It was in Baluchistan. And the tribal territories, they drove it right out. It ended up in Afghanistan, and that's where it was. And, and I, after the after the Russians, well, basically they established themselves because during the Russian uh, war in the 1980s, there was there was even less law and order, as it were, in, in, in Afghanistan than there normally is. And when the dust settled, the drug gangs were basically a source for money, and nobody really cared. I mean, the the <laughs> the the Koran doesn't forbid heroin doesn't put opiates because they didn't exist. I mean, actually, opium did. Uh, but, you know, they didn't know about it. Um, alcohol was the big, uh, you know, uh, bad bag. Uh, so, they, you know, they basically will tolerate it for a while. But then they realize a lot of their most promising children, you know, or even their wives and, you know, their other, you know, members of the family are becoming addicted and becoming zombies. You know, it has a devastating effect on, on tribal cultures. Where family is everything. There is no national government that's going to look after you. No social security. It's either the the clan, and if the clan has too many, uh, you know, addicts to deal with, it's catastrophe. And, and 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 too many people in the West just don't get this. You know, even though what happened in Colombia, you know, they, they don't realize that it was basically the Colombia is looking around and saying, "What's the biggest problem in this country?" That's well, it's El Narcos. Uh, and that's what mobilized support to put them down. And and that again, that's one, that's one we one in the strategy. Page. You know, we're, we're all a bunch of old, you know, uh, historical game and simulation, you know, fans. You realize if you just you know put the pieces together, it usually uh, creates a different picture uh, than the media finds, you know, uh, adequate for their means of scaring
2: people. Okay, hey Dan, I want to make one quick point before we close up on this. Uh, East Timor was, uh, was invaded actually by Indonesia. It was a Portuguese uh, colony. All right, yes. That's yes. right. Well, no, no, Jim, I'm just doing this so we don't get four or five angry emails I on this. Yes. On this. No, that's all right. But the, what, well, what? no, it
1: was, it was something the, the, the Indonesians it, grabbed because of oh, their, their sphere of influence.
2: Absolutely. And it yes. was, it, it was, uh, oh, okay, an opportunity. We're going after these uh, Catholics. That's what they, you know, the Timorese, uh, Timorese Catholics. Uh, they'd done the same thing. The Flores, the island of Flores, get it? That it was primarily Portuguese uh, Catholics, but it was part of the uh, of the, uh, the Dutch East Indies. So were the Moluccas, uh, but the with the uh, Javanese, and I'm laying it on the Javanese because it really was primarily the the Javanese, and that's the way they see it. By the way, the Timorese uh, and the uh, and the Molucans, uh came and, hey, we're going to grab it and we'll grab it all. And they did. Maybe it was a grab too far. You brought up Papua uh, 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 Western uh, side of New Guinea. It is a problem. And the Indonesians have so many problems that uh, I say this. They don't need that problem. And yet, it's, I'll make a quick comparison to this and then we'll cut it off, uh, cut it off on it. There are some very, very rich mineral deposits in that, in, that, in that part of New Guinea. I won't say as much as the Congo, but it's, if you think of a mini-Congo, uh, you, you, you get the idea. And it's U.S., Chinese, Australian, Indonesian companies operating in there. But the deal is they're all protected by the Indonesian army. That said, Jakarta hasn't done anything. For these poor, for for the people of, uh, of this province, they run it as a colony, as yes, in in my view, the 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 Indonesian government runs Papua uh, uh, New Guinea as a as a, a colony. Well, we'll wrap,
0: that, yeah. right. well, uh, we'll wrap it up there.
2: You won't see that anywhere either.
0: Well, we'll wrap it up there. I think this is a topic we could literally talk about for hours and not even finish it up then. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Take care.